Kevin Couchman, playwright of mo- uh, moderation, and I'm with Jeff Giese. Jeff? What, Kevin? <laughs> Hello. <laughs> Hi. Yeah, so we're here to talk about moderation, the play. Oh, interesting. I hear some birds in the background. Puta wheat. I always think about, I think about the birds in, the most famous literary birds may be from Slaughterhouse-Five. Do you know this? No. Oh, Kurt Vonnegut, the great novel about- Oh, right. Yeah, the time that he was uh, was trapped in Dresden in a slaughterhouse and survived, thought he was going to die. And of course, it's all about time travel. Not that this play is literature, it's a play, it's meant for the theater. Uh, but is that where you got the idea? I mean, hmm. we're being bombed with Dresden-like memes and, uh. and we still hear birds in the wreckage. Is that where you got the idea? <laughs> um, no, not, not so much. Uh, I think that it more comes from the conspiracy theory that birds aren't real, which I think is wonderful. It's such a, that conspiracy theory is one of my favorites because it's so lighthearted, but somehow also sinister. Uh, I think it's, it's the kind of conspiracy theory that normies can enjoy. Uh, I'm this not play- familiar with that one, although oh, really? Twitter must be in on it. <laughs> <laughs> well, I think, the, I think the idea behind birds aren't real, and I think there's a website, birdsaren'treal.com, if I'm not mistaken, um, is that sometime, I think in the 60s or the 70s, the government rounded up all the birds and replaced them with drones. And the birds are all spy devices. Uh, I think that's the theory. One of the, one of the reasons I love that is because I've been a student of conspiracy theories for a long time. I consider them uh, to be an essential part of the American experience. There are modern folk tales. There are ghost stories that we tell one another. And those, the, the best ghost stories all have a grain of truth. Uh, the, you know, the, the old, the old uh, woman who, who hanged herself now haunts the house, you know, so you're learning, you're learning history, you're learning some truth. And then there's a point where it falls off the edge. And I, I, I call that kind of the uncanny valley of conspiracy theories, right? There's that, that edge between what's real and what's not. I, I think it's fascinating stuff. And that one to me is just so fun because it's, if you adopt it, then every time you see a bird, you have a bit of a, you can have a bit of a laugh, you know, you go, ah, I know you're not real. No, in other words, Kevin Kautzman is the voice of New America. He's a New American playwright, <laughs> heartily endorsed by QAnon. He's the new QAnon <laughs> playwright. No, I, oh, I don't know. Back it away. You can't. We're joking. Yeah, um, in, in the theater uh, of the mind, I'm backing away. Yeah. You're like, I'm a student of conspiracy theories. And it's like anybody who's like, huh, what does that mean? Yeah. Bro. Right. Um, uh, but seriously, I think we're all in this information environment swimming with truths and conspiracy theories and falsehoods and, and it's all mixed together. And so finding reality and deciphering, discerning what's true is uh, and, and making sense of the world are, are real challenges and, um, and keys to being in this world and, and making ourselves uh, human and, and connecting and mm. surviving and living. And in fact, that's, those are some of the themes I think that your play touches on. Mm. Moderation really speaks to how do we survive and thrive in this world awash with you know, horrible information, some of which might be true and some of which a lot of which might just be garbage. Yeah, that's right. It's like a diet. It's a, a different kind of a diet. If all you eat is junk all day, every day, you're not going to last. And you're going to feel terrible on your way to an early grave. 
So there's a lot to unpack there. I think I did read a story at one point. I, I had the idea to write this play for many years. I finally sat down and wrote it in 2019 uh, over the summer. And um, one of the things that push, uh, pushed me over the edge was this idea that uh, there have been these news stories and it finally came out uh, in media that many of these content moderators had begun to adopt the conspiracy theories that they were being asked to remove from these platforms. They started, started to believe in them. Oh, what happened to Building 7? Oh, you, there wasn't really footage of, of, a, of a wrecked plane at the Pentagon. All these kind of, kind of basic conspiracy 101 things. And, and slowly some of these people were falling down the rabbit hole, which is familiar, familiar to anybody who spent any time on YouTube uh, over the past 15 or 20 years. Uh, I think someone recently pointed out that one of the big verticals at YouTube, if you were to consider ver you know, YouTube to be a set of verticals, uh, you have cat and dog photos, you've got silly home videos, you've got DIY kind of, uh, you know, celebrity stuff. Um, and then the other vertical is what I think would probably be called uh, alt-right or alternative conspiracy theories. And it's a huge uh, bucket in, on the on YouTube, and of course they've been cracking down here now, and, and sort of who knows what it what it looks like. I haven't kind of gone down that rabbit hole in many years now, um, but uh, you'll be familiar with it. And I think it's it is sort of amusing to me to think about the moderators who work for a contractor who in turn works for Facebook, being somewhat radicalized against the very system that they're attempting to protect. I think that's fascinating. And that's kind of where the heart of the play is. And, and Kevin, you're a student of philosophy, right? Yeah, I studied philosophy at Minnesota. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I mean, because that, that shows through the play, because there are a lot of questions about just what is the nature of truth? What does it mean mm -hmm. to be human? Um, you know, are we human mm -hmm. when we're exposed to these things and have, you know, physiological, mental reactions? What, where is free will in this? At what point, you know, there are studies that show to your what you were saying earlier, there are studies that show if you're continuously exposed to certain narratives, you really start to believe them. And that just opens the, the door to the question of like, how much free will do these content moderators have after being relentlessly exposed to all this different information and narratives? And indeed, how much free will do any of us have as we're exposed to, uh, are, are we products of our information diets and, and information environments? I think that's a really interesting theme and, and question um, that's explored in the play. Another thing I like about moderation is it's not really political. Mm. I mean, we all have our perspectives. I certainly have more mine, but this is a play that will appeal to memers in, you know, right wing people who are immersed online. It will also appeal to the New York times tech editors who think about the role of technology in society. Uh, and, yeah, so these questions are really universal, and yet it's not pat. It has a perspective and a voice. It's it's not boring. It's dark. Um, I mean, it, it definitely has adult themes in the play. So I wouldn't advise you know letting young kids listen to it, for example. Right. Uh, so you really accomplish something there, I think, by by uh, raising these issues and getting us talk about talking about them and and not making it super political, but yet making, raising questions that are important to all of us in our society right now. That's really nice. I'm glad that it came across that way. It all sounds, of course, very heavy 
Uh, and yet I think at the heart of it, it is a play. And we, I emphasize the fact that plays are about play. Plays are about ambiguity. Uh, the ball has to be in the air more often you're, than it, yeah, that it's and not. You're actually, you're actually really funny. Yeah, right. Yes. I mean, kind of dry, kind of dark, and very funny. So you guys will, I mean, there's some really funny lines in the play. Having listened to it multiple times, like I pick up more the more I listen to it, and it's, it's actually really funny. Right. I, I am a firm believer that. You have a sick sense of humor, that is. Yeah, there is, it, it, there's a certain <laughs> perverse sense of humor in this, without a doubt. I think that anybody who's worked in a job, whether it's a blue-collar job or uh, an office job, who has been trapped in a room with the same people who aren't your family uh, for months and months and even years and years on end, you will recognize the kind of, and this is a dirty word in drama, but I'm going to use it anyway. You'll recognize the kind of banter that these characters have back and forth. Uh, Dark gallows humor is one of the ways that people survive uh, in workplaces like this. Um, So Kevin, I have a question for you. mm -hmm. What is your favorite line or moment in the play? (laughs) My favorite line or moment. I do. And I know you're partial to this one too, but I really enjoy the, the moment where she's she's leaning in <laughs> he's telling her to lean in and and uh you know they start leaning in and they fall out of their chair <laughs> they nearly fall out of their chair that kind of that kind of humor to me is really funny i really enjoy it. of course of course all of this sort of ted talk ease this this uh, corporate hr patter that you can read ad nauseum on linkedin at any minute to me is some of the most hilarious garbage uh, produced by this non-culture that we inhabit. Uh, people, people get shocked by the, the idea that the characters have a, uh, a bio break button on their, on their machines uh, if they need to go uh, use the facilities. And people are like, oh, bio break, that's so funny. It's so ridiculous. Because of course this play is meant to live just slightly askew from our world. Uh, and I have, to, I have to tell them, no, that's actually a phrase that was used at a company that I worked for for a number of years. We would not say, I have to use the restroom, we would say, I need a bio break. But it's um, also commentary on the American dream, right? Like there's a lot of dialogue, self-talk dialogue mm. in the play where they're like, I'm working in tech, you know, I'm working right. in tech. And it turns out that tech for them means content moderation and looking at all these horrible images and videos all day long and in, in a, in a basement with a window where they can hear birds and where they have to push a button to take a bio break and where, you know, there's a, a, a psycho, a psychologist nearby in case they're mentally having issues because of all that they're seeing on the job. Right. Like and there's an interesting commentary there on the, on the American dream and, and where we are. Yes. Correct. I like to say that Costco. That, what did they mean? No, I'm agreeing. I, I, okay. I that's an agreement. Uh, you can't. You, we're doing this by audio. You can't see me. The um, the thing I like to say is Kafka was a hack. <laughs> that's what I like to say. Is Kafka whatever he was living through? Obviously, I'm being I'm being cheeky there, but we're all living through this stuff that would have driven someone like Kafka completely mad. Uh, we're we're in it. You know, it's like the great Terry Gilliam film Brazil. We're in that and past it. Uh, we're into some new some new territory here, uh, it, you know. And when you think about that job that that, that these folks have to do, and t- tens of thousands of people are doing this job as we speak, uh, every mouse movement, every click, every keystroke is being tracked and captured. 
uh, their their metrics are being uh, you know generated, their performance, etc. This is not a good job, uh, and many people have struggled with it. I think they they won a lawsuit against um, Facebook. Uh, recently in Arizona and California, I think it was in California, for not providing uh, enough support to folks who have to do this job. Uh, pretty awful. Uh, a quick search for you know social media content moderation deaths or scandal or whatnot, you'll you'll find all sorts of well-researched articles about this. I, I'm reminded of the the great scene in uh, A Clockwork Orange, where Alex is forced to have his eyes open. Uh, well, he sees you know, these awful acts of violence and is uh, Beethoven happens to be in the background. So he loses his one uh, great human quality, which is his appreciation for this, this wonderful humanist art, which in theory could have saved him, you think, but, um, but he loses that ability and he becomes this kind of automaton uh, to fit in with the, the clown world that, that Kubrick shows us there in uh, in that great movie. So it's definitely it's definitely in play here. I mean, if if we had told people twenty years ago, there's going to be a website uh, that essentially captures a significant portion of human communication. It's going to be a private company. People are going to voluntarily give up their personal information and their family photos and pictures of their children and all the rest. And then there's going to be squadrons of people whose job it is to filter through things that don't belong on that system, including some of the worst uh, material that humanity can, can um, imagine, that you could imagine. Uh, and they're going to do this for eight hours a day at a computer. You would say, no, what? Really? I mean, it In has, play, yeah. I mean, mm -hmm. the play isn't anti-technology either. It, it's, it's not pro-technology, but it's not anti-technology either. So I, I'm excited, actually. I have a lot of friends who work in Silicon Valley and at some of these big tech companies, and I'm, I'm excited for them to listen to moderation mm. as well because, and I think, because I think the themes will resonate with them, too. We're all thinking about these issues, and you mentioned AI. Uh, that definitely shows up in the play, uh, and Kevin raises interesting questions about it. And I, I like the way you do it because a lot of, Plays now just beat your head, beat you over the head with AI, and it's almost become a cliche. Yeah, uh, you raise it in in a more subtle and somewhat more insidious kind of way that I was questioning. Like, are these actually robots? You know, uh, I, and I think the you uh, Kevin does a good job trolling the listener a little bit in in good ways as you're listening to the play uh, with with some of these themes. Mm. Yeah. I'm glad that you picked up on that. It is interesting to finally, I've written a number of plays. Uh, I've had, I've been reviewing The Guardian and all the rest. Never really had a big breakout uh, yet. I don't want to say never, never really had, but this to me, it was fun to write. It was challenging. A big breakthrough for me, which you had mentioned maybe five, five, 10 minutes ago was this idea of the self-talk and the way that operates in the play, which you'll, you'll find out very quickly if you listen, is that when they are doing the content moderation, uh, they speak in the passive uh, tense. So they say, I am content moderating. I am being a content moderator. So it's this little shift where they're not, it's not realism. You're in their mind as they do this work. And when I discovered that, there's a certain poetry to that, or maybe even an anti-poetry to that, uh, which was really valuable to me as a playwright because you're trying... Uh, as, uh, especially now as a player, you're trying to do so much with 
uh, the bare minimum, you know, two actors. Uh, you could do this play with two actors and a couple of chairs, right? Uh, but then you could also do a film version of it and really go all out. And it could be like a, like a black mirror uh, type movie, you know? Um, but I love that as a playwright because you get your, your, the more narrow you go, the more specific you go as a playwright, the more the world opens to you. And I, I love that about being a playwright and being a dramatist. The, the idea that Shakespeare could take us to the plains of war with three lines. Suddenly there we are, we're standing in a battlefield. And of course, if you augment it with some Foley noise and whatever else you can really add to it, but gosh, the, the human imagination is so wonderful. All it takes is to say, hey, don't think about a white elephant and, and you're thinking about a white elephant. So we rely on that stuff. Um, and of course, then you get into this quality that you were talking about, the, the kind of uncanny idea of like, well, we know these actors have memorized all these lines. <laughs> They're going down a track, right? But I think one of the qualities of this play, which, which I hope makes it entertaining, is I think if we were to see 10 different productions of this, of this play on any given night, we would see 10 different plays. And that's one of the one of the my favorite things about the theater. I love that. Um, it's got this high low quality. Like there are all these high minded themes, but there's also you know quotes of Ted Kaczynski and yeah. Killdozer uh, and yeah. Marv various <laughs> you know Mars World Trade Center various internet memes and conspiracy theories. The moon landing. And moon landing yeah, and kind yeah. of dark uh, topics like that that are that uh, come up in the play. So, you know, Kevin does a great job, I think, grounding it as a playwright, um, grounding it in some, some bigger themes and ideals, and at the same time, making it really funny and accessible, especially mm. to those who spend a lot of time on the internet and who, and who kind of feel, I think we all feel this brain sickness of just too much time. Who's really in control here? Is the social media controlling me or am I in control? And why am I even here? And I'm, and how am I even thinking about my, my own information diet? And, um, you know, what kind of harm might be this be doing to me? And how might it yeah. be affecting me? Who's really in control? It's such a great question. And are we going to look back at this time and TikTok and Snapchat and the gram and all the rest? Are these companies going to be the big tobacco of 30 years hence, right? There's... Who knows? And I'm not, again, that's not a threat. Uh, I love technology. I've been online since I was a teenager. Uh, I spent a lot of time um, on, on the web. I run, a, I run a digital agency, do websites. I'm a WordPress guy. I've made a living doing that. I love this stuff. Uh, and if I didn't, I don't think I would have been able to write this play. This is one of those, those things they say when you're a young playwright. They say, write the play that, you, that only you can write. There's a play that only you can write. And I think this is close to that. And I got to find out what the next one is too, because I don't want to just, you know, have one play and then fade away. But um, like, like yeah. Bob Dole said, you've got to get on the internet in order to get on the web. <laughs> it's a series of tubes. Do you remember that? I don't, I don't recall that. What year was that? I wonder. Maybe the oh, 90s, you're younger right? than I am. That was yeah. when he ran for president in the race. It was like, he did that kind of arm movement that he does in the Viagra commercials. Where he's like, you got to, get on the internet in order to get on the web, <laughs> something like that. And Love it's just it. a funny line. Yeah. You got to get recall, it. Maybe on I, Yeah. That could be, if this was a, an episode, well, maybe that's what we'll call this episode. <laughs> this, this, this uh, Easter egg for the, uh, for the reading of moderation, the, the podcast. 
You got to get on the internet to get on the web. You've got to get with the game. That's it. Yeah, right. You got to lean in to thrive. Yeah, uh, to thrive. <laughs> what was so? Oh gosh! And then that other guy. It was. It's a series of tubes. Uh, you know. I think another thing that really struck me, which happened before I sat down to write this play, was was uh, Mark Zuckerberg's appearance before Congress and how shocking that was, as uh, still a fairly young person who's come of age on the internet. Uh, so, you know, to see the, um, the handling of that from, from our, our officials was just an absolute shock to me, uh, how they, they barely know. They don't even hardly know anything. Um, so Kevin, you're, you're, you're a North Dakota guy. That's where you grew up. Mm-hmm. And I know you spent a lot of time in Minnesota, you live in Minnesota and you've also mm-hmm. spent time in New York and other places. Mm-hmm. You're very worldly. I'm just curious how did North Dakota, that kind of upbringing, shape or not shape this play? Wow, that's an interesting question. I think as a teenager, I was definitely an early adopter of the internet to the point where I probably had a problem, uh, probably missed some formative experiences. Uh, and a big part of that was uh, as I came into my 20s, finished university, uh, realized I felt like I had missed out on a certain amount of life. And I went, it's interesting, I was thinking about this earlier today. I have this idea, that's probably not an original idea, but I have, I have this notion that I try to live by, and it's very simple. And I think this, uh, regrets are desires. So if you regret something, uh, it means that you desire to do something or to change something. And in my early 20s, I sat down and there were all these little things I had regretted. Uh, you know, I, I had always wanted to take up fencing. <laughs> I went and I took up fencing. Uh, that's where I met my, met my first wife. And um, I also regretted not going into the theater. And so I turned, uh, turned around and I went um, and did a, uh, a community theater acting class in North Minneapolis. Ended up, uh, you know, I was in a play and then I was writing plays. And of course, anybody who writes plays who has never acted or been around acting or actors, you're, you're toiling. Um, it's, it's fairly futile. You've got to go into the theater. You've got to be around actors. You've got to see how actors work. And I think you really should try to do it yourself, even if it's just in a class um, privately, because it's so huge. Because you have to write uh, plays that actors want to do. Uh, if, you, if you're not writing plays that actors want to do, it's pointless. Um, I knew I had something with this play that would cross the aisle and be a little more universal when we did a reading of it in New York City and uh, just privately. And one of the actors said, oh, I get this. This reminds me of Beckett, um, Samuel Beckett, of course, one of the absolute great playwrights. And then Pinter, also one of the absolute great playwrights. When she said that, I said, yeah, that's awesome. Because I had, I had seen a Pinter play uh, in London. It's one of the more obscure ones. I can't recall what it was called. Um, but I saw Ian McKellen and um, Patrick Stewart do it. And I was, I was certainly channeling some of that energy. And if you know Pinter, it's about this ambiguity. There's so much ambiguity at the heart of the play that the audience never really gets a, a chance to catch their breath. You're constantly trying to figure out what's happening. And that's so intellectually thrilling. Um, but to get back to the question itself, I think that that experience of kind of, you know, really coming of age on the internet back in the nineties and then into the aughts and to the point where it was a problem for me. Uh, I think that I, I, I've, there's a bit of a Cassandra quality to that for me because there was a time when I was spending, you know, 
you know, 14 hours a day online. And then of course I broke myself out of it through a series of things that I did. I went, I did a martial art. I did a, I, I took up fencing. I went into the theater specifically because it was physical. I would, you know, you can't have your, your laptop with you in the theater and be productive. You got to be there in the space. And so I kind of broke out, you know, through the theater only to watch the rest of the world, um, catch up to the kind of addiction and the kind of obsession that I felt was sort of crippling me a little bit when I was younger. So what a strange experience to, to undergo. Um, yeah, that, there you go. That's a long answer to a short question. Yeah. You had to break away from tech in order to write about it and cover it. So that's kind of a full circle coming full circle experience here with moderation. That's absolutely, that's a totally correct. Um, yeah. And, and it also just so interesting to see the world, um, you know, change. I mean, growing up in North Dakota, I don't have anything bad, to, you know, bad to say about it. But I mean, it was, for me, it was definitely like, um, you know, I was, I was reading, um, reading well advanced my, my age, you know, when I was in high school, I was reading, you know, philosophy, I was reading Bertrand Russell and Nietzsche and stuff. And not, not necessarily the best place to grow up and be really wicked, precocious, you know. So for me, it was a case of kind of wanting to get out. And the internet was that out. The internet was the big window um, out into the world um, when I was 14, 15, 16. Um, and then, of course, when I finally made it to Minneapolis and got to the university and things kind of settled down then, it was like, okay, why well, now, now this is very interesting, you know, and all the rest. So, and I, you know, it's a beautiful, beautiful state, um, you know, great people, very faithful people. I think it's still the most religious state. People don't, don't, um, aren't quite aware of that. It's got its problems. Um, have you ever seen, um, you ever seen the documentary Jesus Camp? No, I haven't seen that. Oh, that's one to that's one to watch. That's sort of I point people in that direction. Um, it's a uh, it's a it's sort of about these kind of hardcore evangelicals in North Dakota. There's some there's some footage of my hometown in there. You know, she's what, driving around. So, what was the process of actually writing the play? Uh, like, what was that like for you? Yeah. So again, it was last summer, and I was living in Manhattan, in a relationship that was kind of on the on the rocks, and. I finally, I had uh, fallen out of that job, the bio, bio break job, and I was doing my, I was working on my agency, things were going pretty well, uh, and I finally said, you know, look, I've got to write this play. There was a, a, a bar, um, I'm, I'm sober now, I have my, my newborn son, so I'm not, uh, not drinking, um, but there was a bar at the time that I was uh, sort of famously known as the mayor of, and it was in, a, uh, it was in a, an Indian restaurant, it's called Kismet uh, up the hill uh, in uh, Washington Heights. It had a one to eight o'clock happy hour. <laughs> and, you know, and I was like, uh, like family there, you know, uh, some very, very good friends uh, still. And um, I, I just went up there and, uh, you know, I'd sit myself down and I'd have a vodka soda, put my headphones on, listen to music. I'm always listening to music when I'm writing a play. In fact, I don't have a play unless I've started to listen to the same three or four albums to get on repeat. That's actually a sign that like the play is real and I've got something because it's, it, it helps me hook into a, a feeling. Um, for this play, I was listening to a lot of uh, Have a Nice Life and then uh, a guy called Perturbator, who's this French uh, dark wave kind of synth wave guy. Um, I don't know if those are the right terms for it, but it's fun. It's kind of dark and techno and electronic. And, you know, the music is sort of about, you know, AI coming into consciousness and it's uh, got this kind of, you know, industrial sound. So, yeah. And I just sat down and I did it and I knew I had something when I, when I found that conceit 
of the the internal you know monologizing when they're talking about what they're seeing I just knew right away, ah, that's going to work in the theater. That's going to have something. And it's, it's the first two-hander that I've written. It's the first play that I've written for two actors. Uh, and it works. And I'm very proud of that, the full-length version of it. I think it works. It's a very tricky thing to do. Um, and I think it draws a little bit of inspiration from the famous one-act Pinter play. I think it has two actors. Um, uh, it's called The Dumb Waiter. If you ever get a chance to see that, it's a play about these two characters, and it's very it's very Beckettian. and it's it's inspired by Beckett. And there's a dumb waiter on the stage, right? And so something new is delivered into the scene periodically by this dumb waiter, and it's so simple and clean, and it has this wonderful metaphorical quality. Um, and for me, of course, the dumb waiter in this play is the content moderation, the stuff that's being shoved into their. Um, their experience periodically. Because uh, of course the play occurs during their breaks. Um, much of the play occurs during their breaks and then they have to go back and do this content moderation. Yep, so yeah, I, wrote, I, probably, I probably drafted it in, in about three or four weeks. Um, I, I enjoyed doing it. Uh, the, the person I was dating at the time did not like the play. <laughs> We're no longer, we're no longer Bad dating. Oh, yeah, no. we're no, that was, that was about something else too. She was, she was lovely, but um, it was just not, well, it was not meant to be. Final question for you. And yeah, this yeah. one is my favorite question to ask, which is what, what other questions should we ask you? Mm. What other questions uh, should we ask me in kind of this quasi internet or uh, um, um, interview format or more just generally about yeah, the Yeah, or what, like, yeah, like what, what else do you want to be at? Mm. Like, yeah. Oh, that's yeah, interesting. Or what do you want to ask me about? Wow. Uh, no, I like that. That's, that's, uh, that's something. Let me think about that. Kind of put a spanner in, in the works. Um, I think that it's, that it's interesting uh, about, and maybe this is a question for you. We're living through this pandemic and I'm at once excited, but also a little uh, reticent um, about the fact that the play seems to be adapting itself well to the new situation. Uh, like it's a play that you would almost write as a Zoom play, right? I could see people going, oh yeah, this is gonna really work on Zoom. Or in your case, you know, I feel it working uh, you know, as a podcast. I guess I would ask you, like, what do you see the theater experience of this looking like? Because that, that's what I wrote it for. I really wrote it for the theater. So have you, do you have a vision in your mind's eye? Uh, what is yeah, it? Yeah, I, yeah. I mean, I am not a theater expert. I love the theater, but I'm, I'm no expert. And I love the type of plays that kind of give you a hangover, so to speak. And there's that intimate in-person experience. When I listened to this, I could easily picture it on stage. My first instinct was to think, well, darn, it's too bad we're in a lockdown. All theater is shut down. And then the business guy in me like started to look at market, do market research. And I, my first thought was, let's do this as a, a live play over Zoom. And so researched, you know, live interactive Zoom plays and realized that that's a possibility. I think there's a new frontier there, but we're all spending so much time on Zoom that I don't think people want to go hang out on Zoom for fun, right? Right. Like it's more of a lean back experience instead of a lean forward experience. And at the same time, I I did some market research into the podcast market. I love listening to podcasts and realized that's a really big and growing market. It's growing about 25% a year. People spend like an average of six hours a week on listening to podcasts and that's growing. 
And so I thought, well, well, let's take something that's in this dead market and bring it to this thriving, growing market over here in audio. And like you and I talked about this, like let's keep it as a play and maybe experiment with this as almost a new medium, a new creative possibility for taking theater into audio experiences and then in turn back on the stage. And so I'm really curious. I think, I think moderation works, works both ways. And I'm really curious about how the audio experience will impact the onstage experience, uh, production mm. and so on and so forth. So I think it's a, it's a play that uh, lends itself to multiple media and that there's probably something to lean into and learn from, from each of those. And I would love to see it performed on, on a stage. I think it's fresh, relevant. The economics work too, because there are two actors. And yeah. like you said, that some of the devices that you use with internal monologue and kind of that you know, narration as well as live dialogue makes it uh, really interesting. And it's definitely the kind of play that will make you laugh and have that hangover afterwards, a good hangover of like, it just hits you in the gut and you're like, oh, I'm going to be thinking about this for days. So that's, that's yeah. very high praise. I appreciate that. And, and yeah, it's been nice to go back and forth a little bit and answer those questions. Uh, I appreciate the interest and your excitement for it. And obviously I hope people will go listen. Uh, it's going to be wherever you can find podcasts. I think we'll probably put this out as a, as an extra episode. Um, iTunes, Stitcher, Spotify, moderationplay.com. We are asking if you like it, what are we asking people, Jeff? Five stars. Five stars. Give it five <laughs> stars and please rate it because that just, we just want to get this play out there. We want to get more people watching it. So if you like it, I mean, don't, don't rate it if you don't like it, but if you do like it, give us five stars, help us get the word out yeah. uh, and, and get more people exposed to the play and, and, and create with us, be part of the process and be fun. Yeah. Yeah. The play is a meme. I think that's something that you said, Jeff, the play moderation is a meme. Did I really say that? That sounds kind of lame. <laughs> okay. Well, I just said it just now. So I'll be, I'll be, the, I'll be the lame one. Um, yeah. And so this has been Kevin Couchman with, with Jeff Giese. Jeff, thanks so much for the, uh, the enthusiasm and everything. I'm really into it. It's fun. Moderationplay.com. And I'm on Twitter. You can find me at Kevin Couchman. I really do want to hear from you. If you enjoy the play, uh, let me know. If you don't, you have questions, you want to, uh, you, you think, it, you think it's, it's awful. Let me know where this writing process is about yeah, connection and trying to make, uh, make connections and shake things up a little bit. So I appreciate you listening. And Jeff, thanks again. Thank you, Kevin. Kevin.